This is Hello Vancouver. I'm your host, Temple Lentz. Thanks for listening. On today's show, I'm speaking with Dr. Steve Webb, superintendent of the Vancouver Public Schools. Dr. Webb and I sat down in his office and talked just shortly after the news 2017 school year began. We talked about everything from digital technology and how the schools are using it to improve the education and access for every single student to the levy, the bond, actually, that was passed just last fall and how that will be used over the next six years to improve the physical facilities for all of the students in the district and also about uh, the McCleary decision. And that was the lawsuit about fully and amply funding public public education in the state of Washington, and whether or not the state is meeting its obligation on that. Coming right up, here's the interview with Dr. Steve Webb, Superintendent of Vancouver Public Schools. So I am sitting in uh, Dr. Steve Webb's office. Uh, Dr. Webb is the Superintendent for Vancouver Public Schools, and we're going to talk about the state of Vancouver Public Schools. Dr. Webb, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so before we get started on more of the details, can you talk about the Vancouver Public School District? Uh, where, where are the boundaries and what's the general makeup of the student demographic? We serve 24,000 students in 35 schools. Our northern edge of our district uh, butts up against Ridgefield. Our Southern edge butts up against the Columbia River. Uh, our east edge of the district is roughly Interstate 205. So that is the geographic area of Vancouver Public Schools. Of the 24,000 students in Vancouver Public Schools, approximately 51% of the students qualify for free and reduced price meals. One indicator of poverty that uh, creates some unique opportunities and challenges in terms of student achievement in the system. Uh, approximately 13% of our students are second language learners and 40% of our students are children of color. Has that? How long have you been superintendent for the district? This is my 10th year. I've served as superintendent for a decade. <laughs> So has that uh, has that changed in the in the ten years that you've been here, or has that been stable? Yeah, no, we've seen some significant uh, shifts in student demographics, uh, particularly uh, an increase of second language learners, uh, a doubling, about a hundred percent increase from about six and a half percent to thirteen percent in that decade. We've seen our free and reduce increase from 39% to a peak of 57% several years ago during the height of the Great Recession. We've seen that uh, trend over the last couple of years during the economic recovery uh, balance to about 51%, uh, but we're increasingly an urban school system. Mm -hmm. I like to describe Vancouver Public Schools as an urban, suburban school system. If you look at many of our downtown core schools, we have schools that uh, have a concentration of free and reduce that uh, is in excess of 90%, uh, 25% second language learners, 40% mobility rate. That is an urban school. Uh, and presents some unique challenges and opportunities for uh, staff and our community. In what way? When we look at 
uh, children and families impacted by poverty, we know that it presents real barriers to students' success. You know, if a child is hungry, it impacts their ability to learn. Sure. Right? Yeah. If a child does not know where they are going to sleep tonight, it impacts their ability yeah. to learn. So really, the work that we've attended to over the past decade is about scaling community schools through our Family Community Resource Centers as a way of removing barriers to students' success, building assets in children and families and in community as a way of responding to some of the environmental context that too many of our children and families have to wrestle with. Uh, decades of research uh, have demonstrated a correlation, a correlational, decades of research have demonstrated a correlational relationship between poverty and student achievement. So our community schools work really is about leveraging the village Mm -hmm. leveraging resources to remove barriers to student success in order to positively impact student learning in our classrooms and schools. It seems like schools have a lot more put on them now than in decades past. As far as uh, you know, teachers, administrators need to not just teach and administrate, but also be social workers, uh, the, you know, the first the the first door to, to mental health therapy, to a variety of different services. How is, the, how is the school district able to absorb all of that extra responsibility? Well, if not us, then who? Mm -hmm. um, if we're going to be held accountable to student achievement, to results, we've got to think more tactically and deliberately about root cause. And if we know that the root cause really is about uh, poverty-impacted families and poverty-impacted children, then we have to build the right set of relationships uh, within the context of a community school's vision in order to build assets in kids and families so that young people are set up for success in schools and classrooms each and every day. Mm -hmm. uh, that is why we have scaled our community schools work from two family community resource centers to 18. That's why the number of partnerships have increased from 22 to 750. That's why for every dollar that the district invests in our community school staffing of our family community resource centers, we leverage $4 in return on that investment in in-kind contributions and services and in assets that really fundamentally are about removing barriers to student success each and every day in our schools. Have there been any, has this been in place long enough for there to be any demographics and research on return, on success in this? Are you able to track that? Uh, we are, and in fact, when we look at our district performance scorecard that tracks 24 student learning key performance indicators, 80% of those student learning KPIs since 2008 have positive trend slopes. Good. Um, and... Of course, one measure of our success fundamentally is about producing future-ready graduates. Mm -hmm. 
and for us, we've seen a significant improvement, nearly a 20-point increase in our on-time graduation rate from 64 to nearly 84 percent, while our district demographics have become increasingly diverse, increasingly impacted by poverty, and increasingly challenging in terms of the kind of context and conditions that children and families face in Vancouver public schools. So we're proud of that progress. We've got uh, more work to do, uh, but we're very strategic and tactical and focused in such a way that really is about building assets in kids and families and neighborhoods one school at a time. And at the same time as doing all of this work, uh, also just how children learn and teachers teach has been changing dramatically in the last decade or two. Uh, I uh, had heard a lot about sort of like one-to-one -one learning and meeting students where they are. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how the district is has been changing its approach to teaching the students? A digital shift is happening, mm -hmm. not just within the K-12 sector, but across all sectors. Absolutely. If you think about the way in which we communicate, the way in which we relate, the way in which we do our work, there is a digital footprint. Digital assets are being brought to bear relative to uh, productivity, communication, collaboration, creativity, and connectivity. Uh, so if we want to prepare each and every student in order to be a future-ready graduate, they need assets to future-ready resources. Mm -hmm. uh, and fundamentally, uh, we began scaling our digital transformation work connected to our Design 2 strategic plan that engaged thousands of stakeholders in shaping the future for Vancouver Public Schools. And I have to tell folks this isn't my vision, it's not the board's vision, it's the community's vision for their children. This community cares deeply about their children and their public schools and they want their young people prepared for post-secondary success and in part that is about ensuring that they have the kind of future-ready skills that will enable them to not just survive but to thrive in an increasingly interdependent global economy. Uh, we began scaling our digital transformation work in 2008. Uh, we now are completely one-to-one uh, with digital assets and resources in grades uh, 3 through 12. Uh, it's not just about the mobile learning technology, but it's about digital content, it's about digital apps, it's about digital resources that really are getting at the kinds of 21st century skills that we know that the workplace of tomorrow demands. Yeah, so how has the job of a teacher changed then? as far as their ability to directly interact with the students, it seems like this is a great opportunity for teachers to uh, have the resources to know more specifically about where each of their students is. Without question, the sophistication and the technical expertise of classroom teachers over the past 10 to 15 years has significantly shifted because of the kinds of assets and resources mm -hmm. that are being brought to bear that will provide just-in-time uh, data and information that allows the teacher to make 
informed decisions about practice to support student learning and student achievement. Unquestionably, uh, the landscape has significantly shifted because of those kinds of solutions that are being brought to bear. But at the end of the day, uh, it fundamentally is about the kinds of relationships that are engendered within a classroom that create the context and conditions where, in my opinion, three universal needs are met routinely. Listen, every child in every classroom needs to feel safe and secure. Every child in every classroom needs to feel loved and a sense of belonging. Every child in every classroom needs to feel competent and capable. If we attend to those universal needs, we're going to get more kids across the finish line. Yes, we can bring all of these other assets that enable and empower teachers and enable and empower students and enable and empower families in a partnership to get more kids across the finish line. But at the end of the day, we've got to make sure that our culture is right. And speaking of the classrooms and some of the, 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 the physical plant uh, for, for the schools, uh, Vancouver Public Schools passed a very large bond, uh, I think just last year, to do some work, uh, some much needed work throughout, throughout the district on uh, elementaries, middle schools, and high schools, some building new, some renovation. Uh, can you talk a little bit, for those who uh, aren't aware of what that bond covers, in February of last year, we passed the largest bond in the history of the county, a $458 million bond with nearly 70% mm -hmm. of support from our community. We're so grateful, and as I've said routinely, our community cares deeply about their children and about their public schools, and they routinely invest time, talent, and treasure in their children and in their school system, and we're so grateful for their confidence and continued support. This $458 million bond will also leverage approximately $100 million in state match resources that will enable us to do over $560 million worth of capital improvements, which includes uh, 10 new schools, Seven of those schools are replacement schools, predominantly in our south end, circa 1960, 70 buildings that have really uh, served their full life utility. It's time to uh, raise those buildings and build new buildings that will serve the next generation, future ready focus of our school system. We have 25 other uh, capital improvements for those schools that aren't part of a significant uh, rebuild or new build project. And then we have five significant modernization projects that includes improvements, for example, at uh, Kiggins Bowl, a WPA project connected with the uh, Roosevelt administration. We've got some significant improvements that we need to make there relative to ADA access, some concrete restoration, some other improvements that will actually make that uh, stadium a little bit more functional and user-friendly. 
We also have some classroom additions at Columbia River. That's one of the significant uh, modernization uh, projects that will create greater access to our international baccalaureate program at Columbia River High School. We also have an addition at Vancouver School of Arts and Academics, our 612 School of Arts and Academics uh, School of Choice. There's not a school in the system that will not see improvements as a result of that capital bond measure. What's some of the timeline on that? Like when can folks uh, expect to start seeing you know, new schools going up, old schools coming down? We intend to complete the entire scope of our capital bond program within six years. We have already launched our group one and bundle one projects. This will be phased on an annual basis uh, group one projects include iTech, Mac, and Marshall, and Truman Elementary, and Peter S. Ogden. Those are all new schools. Mm -hmm. that, that, those projects are currently underway with pre-design and design work. Uh, the bundle one projects are typically the smaller projects that are happening at our other schools. Those typically get launched in the summer and then run throughout the course of the year. Uh, we've already initiated some of those projects and in fact if you look at Skyview's track that is currently been resurfaced and we're waiting for striping. We've done some roofing projects this summer. We've got playground improvements at many of our elementary schools that will happen over the course of the fall. Uh, prior to the winter season, uh, but uh, we're well underway uh, with all of our projects. That's great. Yeah. Does th so earlier this year, uh, earlier this summer, the Washington State Legislature uh, ended its session without passing a capital budget. Uh, does that affect the, the the matching funding, the state funding for the bond, and if so, how? Not yet. Uh, this impasse on the capital budget, in my opinion, uh, needs to get resolved more quickly than not. Uh, there's over $1 billion of K-12 capital improvements that are placed on hold statewide as a result of this impasse from a policy perspective. That's not right for children. Mm -hmm. It's not right for communities that have stepped forward to resource their share of school buildings and facilities for their children. In the event that this matter is not resolved more quickly than not, there's the potential that it will create a backlog for other projects that have already been passed and identified and an expectation relative to districts and communities around state matchability. There's only so much bandwidth in the capital budget. Mm -hmm. And if there's a backlog, that could create some difficulty in the out years for districts like Vancouver or Evergreen that is expected to go out with their own bond request uh, this school year. So it's important that we get these matters resolved as quickly as practical so that we can deliver on the scope of projects. And I'm hopeful that common sense will prevail 
legislatively and we'll get this thing resolved. Still staying on the state legislature, uh, one of the biggest things that they've been dealing or not dealing with, depending on your perspective, over the last few years has been uh, the McCleary uh, case, which was where the the state legislature uh, got sued for not fully funding education. They did come out of this last session and say that they think they have resolved it, but also opinions on that vary. <laughs> uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on where they ended with the, the operating budget? The fundamental requirement of the court's McCleary mandate is for ample funding for the public schools in order to serve the 1.1 million children in Washington State. Let me share some data with you. Out of the 30 districts in Region 112, given what has been promulgated through House Bill 2242, 10 of those 30 districts will actually receive less money in order to meet their expense obligations when the McCleary funding is supposed to be implemented. Not only do those 10 districts receive less revenue, But on the expense side of the ledger, their obligations increase as a result of an increase on the beginning teacher's salary schedule. So let me put this, let me put this to you simply. Less revenue, greater expenses. That dog won't hunt. No. And so... Any claim to, it, it's, it, from what you're saying, it sounds like any claim to saying we have solved McCleary uh, would be possibly true only on paper. That school districts are still struggling, which was the point in the first place. I am not certain that even on paper, that what has been envisioned under 2242 meets the court's definition of ample. But we'll find out yeah. this fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Here's what I do know. When you allocate resources based on an average teacher's salary, and then you have a more senior staff, you have a deficit relative to meeting those obligations Mm -hmm. with your senior staff. That's the problem with the 10 districts. Right. In the past, the state used a staff mix factor as a way of allocating their share of state revenue in order to pay for the actual costs of the state salary schedule related to certificated staff. Now, there was the local tri-salary schedule that has been in place for decades that is part of the McCleary uh, mandate. But when you don't allocate enough resources to pay for what is basic education salaries for your certificated instructional staff, in my opinion, and in the opinion of news, that does not meet the McCleary court order. We only have a couple of minutes left, but to... uh... 
To try to end on something a little less dire and a little more positive, uh, the school year has just begun. 2017-18 is now underway. Uh, what For the Vancouver Public Schools, what are some things that the community can look forward to seeing, hearing about uh, for, this, for this coming school year? We've got three focus areas. Uh, the first really is attending to this notion of equity, continuing all of our instructional uh, quality initiatives that really are about uh, reducing student achievement and opportunity gaps, particularly in the area of English language, arts, and math achievement. Uh, secondly, we have a focus area around excellence, which is continue, continuing to scale our uh, design to chapter two community vision for our public school system. For example, we'll continue to resource and support our community schools work through our family community resource centers. We'll continue to scale our We Learn digital transformation work. And as I've indicated, we're now grades 3 through 12 with all of our digital learning assets, scaling to grades 3 through 4 this year system-wide. And then finally, uh, we're continuing to focus on this principle of innovation. Uh, and fundamentally, this is about a continuous quality improvement. It's about future-ready students. It's about cultivating future-ready schools. Uh, much of the work uh, that we're paying attention to within this notion of innovation is really trying to understand how to take mass customization to scale to support every child in such a way that enables them to be successful in their classrooms and schools and prepared for post-secondary success. Excellent. Well, it sounds like uh, there will be a lot for us to pay attention to, and uh, we look forward to hearing about it. And Dr. Webb, thank you very much for taking a few minutes. You bet. Thank you. And that's our show. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Temple Lentz, and this has been Hello Vancouver. To find out more about Hello Vancouver, visit our website, hellovancouver.us, and be sure to check out our live stage shows in Vancouver, Washington, every other month. Hello Vancouver is produced by High Five Media.